Our good and our holy God, we thank you for a chance to gather in this room this morning. We thank you that you hear our songs. We offer them to you, Lord, as children would art to mama and daddy. It's our gift to you because of the, the goodness of your heart and all you've done for us. God, we pray that you receive our praise and that you find delight in it. We pray that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the promise of your word that you do. And Lord, we're grateful that we're not the only ones using words and making noise this morning, but that you are a God that speaks. And Lord, we thank you for your word that guides our steps and directs our, our paths. Lord, as we open a portion of Scripture and look at it together this morning, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in good soil. Lord, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Lord, make our hands strong that our work in this earth would be like your very own. Lord, we pray that a word of hope and testimony, life, and love would be found on our lips. God, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity. And we pray together this morning saying, Amen and Amen. Please be seated. I begin this morning by confessing to you that treadmills terrify me. I'm not against exercise in general. In fact, I love to hike. I love playing with the kids. But treadmills, they just frighten me. I think it was because I was scarred as a small child, metaphorically and maybe a little bit physically, by the treadmill in our home. We had one in the back part of our house, you know, where treadmills belong. Uh, and just if you were just observing things, you would think we bought it to dry laundry. Uh, because those things that we, you know, don't go in the dryer, we hung on the treadmill. And some of you smile with a guilty smile. How many of you have laundry on your treadmill right now? Raise, raise, raise your hand. Uh, but every now and then, one of us would get on the treadmill. Mostly it was my mother. Uh, I remember one night, uh, my mom, it was the end of the, end of the evening, we'd all had supper. Uh, and we were all just kind of settling down for the night and my mother bone tired decided that she would get on the, the treadmill, you know, cut a little stress. And, and so she gets on the treadmill and she cranks that sucker up high, nothing, zero, no life in the treadmill. She turns around and she notices that the treadmill had become unplugged. Probably some sweater knocked, knocked the plug out. And, and so my mother... She bends over, she grabs the plug, and she rams it into the wall. Not to be outdone, the treadmill threw her against the wall. <laughs> and she got pinned by the force of that treadmill, and she let out the most blood-curdling scream. And we all converged into that back room where the treadmill belongs. And, she, and we just looked dumbfounded for a moment. And then she looked at us, and she said, Help me, don't just stand there! And then she told us what to do. Unplug the treadmill. And so we unplugged the treadmill and my mother was set free. Friends, I'm terrified by treadmills. I just hate them. Uh, and, and they're sort of a scary metaphor sometimes. I, I hey, there's some people sitting in this room right now. You, you feel like maybe you're on a treadmill in your life. I mean, just spiritually 
relationally, emotionally. You feel like you're just giving out all kind of effort, but you're not getting anywhere. Oh, you may be really busy. Maybe, maybe busier than you need to be. But you just have a feeling somewhere deep inside you're just not getting anywhere. And some of us, some, some people in this room, you've sort of been sucker punched by the treadmill. Something, something has just fallen out from underneath you. And you feel worse than, than, than walking in place. You're, you're headed backwards in the most violent kind of way. There's somebody watching this on television or somebody in this room. You're in a real crisis right now in your life. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about moving forward. We've been talking about how God works in our life to move us forward to that place where he would have us to be. And, and we've talked about those different things that God brings into our experiences that help us get there. And, and today is no exception. Today's focal text is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at uh, 1 to 13 in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is stuck. They're stuck. They're, they're full of life, but they're stuck. He, he writes them at one point, and he says, I can't give you red meat to eat. I've got to give you this, this baby food because you're still very, very immature. You're not getting there. And he writes to them because he loves them, and he believes in them, and he, and he knows beyond that that God loves them and believes in them, and he wants them to move from where they are to where they can be with God. And when we get to the 10th chapter, he just, he just gives them some old stories. He tells them some old stories, and he gives them some, some direction because he wants them to escape the trap of being stuck, the trap of accepting that they just have to fulfill every temptation that comes into their life. They're in a pagan culture. They're in a pagan society, and their temptation is to worship in these pagan temples alongside their worship of Jesus. Have you ever been to one of those progressive dinners where you have a salad at one house, and you end up with a dessert at another, and you have a bunch of houses in between? That's kind of what they were doing. They were going to the Lord's table, uh, and they were celebrating, and they were worshiping uh, in the church. But they were also going to those pagan shrines, and they were worshiping those idols. And their life was all confused and mixed up, and they were stuck. And Paul writes them, to help them move forward. Let's begin our reading in verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as an example for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did, as it is written... The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 20,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example. And they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. 
No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Powerful and beautiful words. And in, in these paragraphs, in these sentences, we, we are given invitations to, to, to walk with God in fresh ways. We learn how we can move forward. So if you brought your pencils along, number two, 1.53s, whatever you got, if you brought them along, you might want to jot down a few of these observations. First one, we can move forward by engaging Scripture. Paul wrote to them about the ancestors and their experience. He wrote to them and he said, These things were written down for you. We are people of the book. And Paul was calling his people to be people of the book, people of the scriptures. These were not Jewish people. These were people largely from pagan backgrounds. They were wild olive shoots engrafted into the tree. But the story of God was their story and they had been swept up into it. And he was connecting them to the scriptural witness of God. Make no bones about it. Paul preached the scriptures. It may be fashionable to say otherwise, but that's just bluster. Paul preached the scriptures. David Garland said this. He said, he appeals to the Old Testament as an authoritative source and the history of Israel and directly applicable to Christians in Corinth. Now listen to this. The God with whom we have to do, he insists, is not merely some abstract divine principle. I love those words from that mentor of mine. God's not some abstract principle. God's been at work in the world through his people Israel, and, and he was bringing them back to that. He was rooting them in the scriptures and the witness of God and the history of salvation. And he was giving them wings so that they could move forward in their life with him. If we are not rooted in scripture, then we baptize our pet ideologies. And our churches become the Republican Party at prayer or the Democratic Party at prayer or the tailgate party at prayer. You still got your pencils out? Write this down. If your God never disagrees with you, you're doing it wrong. Paul wanted to, to get them rooted, and their rootedness was in the story of their ancestors. We are people who have the witness of the prophets and the apostles. And we will not move forward if we don't move forward without honoring and inter interacting with and engaging the words of God. We can move forward by engaging Scripture. Secondly, we can move forward by heeding warnings. This was a major part of last week's message. You, you might remember I told you about the carbon monoxide detector that went off in our house. It absolutely annoyed me, and it saved my family's life. And often in Scripture, you have these bright, shining warning signs. How many of you riding around with one on your dashboard right now, that yellow one? Just sort of a vague sense of dread. i got to do something about this sometime. Well, if sometime doesn't arrive, you're going to be on the side of the road calling your buddies. Warning signs are there to bring life into our experience. 
to help us out. And Paul gives them a warning sign. He talks about the ancestors. He talks about God's people. He said, hey, hey, they were baptized into Moses. He talks about their, their entrance, uh, their exit from Egypt. He said they were baptized in the cloud. They were nurtured. They were given spiritual sucker from the rock. God gave them living water. God gave them exodus. God pulled them out of there. He said, but don't you remember what happened? Most of them perished in the wilderness because they were so hard-headed. They just kept circling and circling and circling and circling. They were on a communal treadmill all together, and some of them crash-landed. God would provide for them, and they would complain. God would com provide for them, and they'd moan. They'd say, oh, we had leeks and onions in Egypt. Okay, their shackles are gone. They're free, but they're missing the onions? Before we pass judgment, we love onions too. He said, look at what happened to them. Are we so different? Do we stand there smugly as the people who've been to the Lord's table, who've been to the waters of baptistry, and think what happened to them cannot happen to us? He wanted them to, to, to be jarred from their lethargy and their slumber. He wanted them to hear the warning signs. And God, God wants us to hear those as well. You say, man, that's, you know, that's just not popular to talk about stuff like that. Talk about how we can get cars if we give the right kind of way. How we can be healthy, wealthy, wise, pretty how they'll clap for us in the market square. Talk about that stuff. It'll put them in the seats. Sure. To what end? To what end? The scriptures call us to life. And they jar us out of our sense of cosmic privilege. To think that it can never happen to us we can move forward by heeding warnings third thing we can move forward by humbling ourselves verse 12 is so strong so if you think you are standing watch out that you do not fall Scripture teaches us that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He will lift us up. Scripture teaches us to walk humbly before our God. This gives our God great pleasure. What does God want from us? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with Him. God wants us. God wants us to be humble men and women. Because in humility, there is strength, and there is growth, and there is life, and there is hope, and there is gratitude, and there's joy, and there's vitality, and there's movement. God wants us to be humble because through humility, we get off the treadmill of the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. We escape the bonds of our own smallness. We can move forward by humbling ourselves. I tell you, a lack of humility runs in sort of two directions. 
One is that swaggering kind of, uh, of a lack of humility that you see so often. It usually comes from a place of brokenness in someone's life, this, this need to be seen and stroked repeatedly. It's everywhere. It's as common as table salt. There are biblical examples of people who break that cycle, and one of those examples is Moses. Recently, I read a novel about Moses by Herman Woke titled The Lawgiver. He, uh, Woke won a Pulitzer Prize for the Cane Mutiny. You might remember that, that film with Humphrey Bogart. Anything with Humphrey Bogart is worth watching late at night when you can't sleep, right? He's the coolest. He's so cool. He wrote this novel about, about Moses. He, he wanted to write a novel about Moses his whole life. He never could get his mind around it. At 96 years of age, Woke sat down and he began to write a novel uh, about Moses. And he did it by, by, by setting it up as, as memos going back and forth between powerful people in Los Angeles who were trying to make a film about Moses. It's really hilarious. They were, they were trying to, to overdo this, the C.C. DeMille one. Remember that? Woke, as a Jewish writer, just thought that was atrocious. You know, Charlton Heston as Moses never worked for him. And the person that was working on the script, her name was Margot. And in a correspondence back and forth between Woke and Margot, she says this. This is the burning bush scene. It says, Moses, Moses, a disembodied voice calls. Is he startled? Not in the least. He recognizes that voice. For 40 years, alone under the sun and the stars, he had been meditating on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph, the whole sacred family history, taught to him by his mother before she had to relinquish him to that princess. Here I am, he says to the thin air, and the epic begins. How? How does it begin? With his pleading unfitness for the task, God wants to deliver the slaves out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. Five times he tries to beg off. Hardly a hero in the ancient mold of Homer or Plutarch. In a latter scene, the Torah will say of him, the man Moses was humbler than all men on earth. Moses, the self-doubting deliverer, believing in God but never in himself. How did God move them out of their, their captivity? How did, how did God baptize them in the river and in the cloud? How did God nurture them through the rock, through the most humble man on earth. That's what the Bible says. Friends, if you want to make a tremendous difference in this earth, you have to humble yourself before God. If you want to move from where you are to where you can be, you've got to humble yourself before God. For He will lift you up. Another manifestation of a lack of humility is almost in the polar opposite direction. And that's through a sense of self-pity and despair. Wayne Oates wrote about that. He wrote about people who come to Christ. And this is, this is what he said. He has not left us as waifs, but he has made his home with us in Christ. This calls for a decisive break with the luxury of self-pity. And the undisciplined side benefits of considering ourselves as non-entities. On one hand, there are people who say, Oh, no, God could never do anything with me. Emphasis, me. Moses had very little confidence in himself, but he could underline God. And God did great things through him. 
humbling ourselves before God brings us to a place where we have a, a life and a confidence that is rooted in Him. In Him alone. That means we take responsibility. That means we say yes when He calls. And when we say yes to that voice we grow to know through the Scriptures, then we move forward. Friends, lastly, and I would say this in closing, we can also move forward by escaping temptation. This has largely been a challenging message. This, those are the words of Paul, largely warnings. But there is a note, and it's a strong note of hope at the very end, where he talks about God. He talks about God providing a way for escape so that they could flee the temptation that was all around them. You, you look at verse 13, for instance. It says, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful. And this faithful God will provide a way out. Two things about that. Two things about dealing with the temptation. Two things about temptation that keeps us pinned in and on that cycle, on that treadmill. Two things about it. One, it's as common as table salt. Most of us have this sort of inflated notion about how, how, how unique our temptation and trials are. I mean, we're sort of like, like Lake Wabagon. All of our kids are above average. You know, figure out the math on that deal. I mean, we, we hear it all the time. This year's political cycle is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this in the history of the world. Really? You guys heard of Huey P. Long? <laughs> you put the most interesting Republican and the most interesting Democrat in a Cuisinart this year, and what you get is Huey P. Long. We're not that special. I don't want to burst your bubble or hurt your feelings, but we're not that special. Although we are. Us very common people are loved by a very unique God. And to our very common temptations, He meets us. And He provides us a way of escape. Every single last one of us. God, you don't get it. This is so challenging. This is so hard. This is so. He was tempted in every way, like every man, yet without sin. Our God gets it. Personally, gets it and provides a way out. I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for escape movies. I would have gone to see Houdini when he was alive. I'd have loved to see him get out of those shackles. I love that scene in Shawshank Redemption where he comes out that pipe. You know that scene, don't you? Nod your head if you know that. Where he's out of that jail and it's there and his arms are lifted up and he's free. By God, he's free. When they chose to name that movie, two words and one of them was Redemption. We have a Redeemer who knows us and has provided a way for escape. And we move forward when we take it. When we take it.
God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being who you are and for doing what you do. God, those of us that are your kids, your children, your disciples, Lord, I pray that we were encouraged by these truths from your word. Lord, we pray for grace to follow you. And when we are tempted, and we often are, we pray, God, that you would grant us wisdom and clarity to see that way of escape that you have provided and courage to take it, knowing that by taking it, by following you, that we grow and we move forward. Forgive us where we have failed you. Lord, I pray for men and women in this room who, who need you this hour. I pray that today would begin a new journey for them or maybe just in their hearts. But Lord, I pray for anyone here who would make a decision public that they would come now for your glory and for their good. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Let's sing this hymn of commitment. And if God would have you make a commitment public, we invite you to do that today for God's glory and your good. David, please lead us, friend.